now on PG Podcast Network, it's time for the year-round carnival with Vince Accardi and your host, Racetrack Rolfie. G'day, thanks for checking out Year Round Carnival. Bit of a change of format here, though we're at Hawkesbury and Mornington. Why don't we have a bit of a look at some of the great racing that we've had in Melbourne over the last few months and lessons we might have learnt via Vince Accardi and his daily sectionals platform. G'day, Vince. Ralphie, good morning. Mate, this is this is a time just to banter about some good races because uh, I've got a feeling you didn't dive deep into Mornington or Hawkesbury. No, look, I didn't, but I have to say... Um... Very, very grateful for Jigsaw, that's all I can say. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So, look, if you remember, because we've been uh, sending out um, uh, bonus podcasts, if you group my member, what I'm going to do once uh, once uh, Vince has had a chance to roll the clock over it, I'll, uh, I'll send you an email just for some highlights from the two venues uh, because, of course, we look after our members who look after us. We are corporate bookmaker Ed Free. We're here because we have fantastic support from members. If you want to become a member via my website, racetrackralphie.com.au, click through the links and support the, our independent platform. But this is our opportunity just to have a look at some great racing that's happened through Melbourne's Festival of Racing. We're going to kick off from the 11th of February, Vince. Or stakes, yes. let's have a listen to the controversial finish. Jackano in the middle, Nugget, I'm Thunderstruck, coming at Gentleman Roy, four across the track, Roy's lifting, Gentleman Roy and Jackano, Gentleman Roy. And Gentleman Roy, just over Jackano, but it was overturned in the stewards' room, Vince. But this was a high-class performance here from Jackano after, and, and, uh, and Gentleman Roy, but we learned a few lessons from that. Firstly, what did Jackano and Gentleman Roy produce on the day? Well, firstly, when we look at Jackano, Overall performance, pretty, I would say, you know, at, at the high end, well, it was equal best for this horse, plus 3.8, as it turned out, best of the day, which was um, solid. I mean, I, I was looking at the totem pole so far this season, Rolfi, and our peak's like 5.9, so it sort of gives us some insight, around 2.1 lengths off the very high, which is, I guess, it's pretty respectable. I shouldn't... Um, be knocking it. If I compare it to the couple of seasons before, we're probably another further length and a half behind. But overall, very, very solid. And then when we look at the other performance of Gentleman Roy, 3.6 was its uh, best performance, Rolfie, on the 11th of the second, the, the day you're talking about. Didn't quite manage to get beyond that, but I felt that that was the real emergence of the horse. We really seen the step up for this runner to go to that next level, and I felt that they had this horse. You know, from my view, airborne. Just the challenge was just the, the pace. If they could get this horse to relax a little bit more into the future, I feel this horse could you know take another leap. It's just, I guess, it's just a matter of time. And a horse like Jack and O'Rolfies, this this runner going to continue into the future, or what's yeah, the future? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think horse? he might be going to stud. So that that might okay. be might be it. But so so what we want to do here is actually just get some lessons that we learn on the day, or maybe in general uh, philosophies that you have in your approach, and tell us about the run of Mister Brightside in this race, and then what it projected to in the future, because. To the eye, again, as you always say, if, if you haven't got the, the information in, in front of you, good luck seeing exactly what a phenomenal mid-race move really means. Yeah, that's a pretty true statement, Ralphie. Of course, when you look at it, 7.4 lengths below benchmark first section, plus 7.1 between the eight and the four, actually increased the pace over the last 400 with a plus 7.4. And then when we look at the mid-race squeeze, because I'm glad you highlighted that, Ralphie, this horse is pretty much in, in its entire career that we've seen so far, like particularly over the last, say, 10 or 15 starts, this would have to be one of the top three mid-race squeezes the horse has ever produced, 14.6 on that particular day. And it was only a couple other times when it went better, Ralphie. One was back in October when it went plus 15.3 mid-race squeeze. And then the, we had to go back a little bit further to September when it was a 17.5 mid-race squeeze. But for me, what was more important was the phenomenal sustained speed the horse had shown, you know, like matching the two sections between the eight and the 407.1, the last 407.4. I felt that was the real emergence of what that stable have always said about this horse's potential. And it came to the forefront, and I guess from that point onwards, my view was we've got a different horse, another level. 
best last 600, 400, 200 of the day that closed. But as you said, the the be able to sprint off a slow tempo from the 800 to the 400, that's huge pickup of speed. It's like driving on the freeway and then just jamming your foot in the accelerator, and that's an important measurement. It is, and then you've got to add that one additional layer up the hill at Sandown. Yeah. It's never it's never easy, Ralphie. I can imagine how, how tired they must get over the last few hundred metres. Well, well, actually, speaking of which, there's a, another race I want to pick out from that day. Well, it's not, it wasn't a Group 1, but it's called the Rubiton in uh, in race six on the day, it, it actually was. Marine One Generation going with Uncommon James at the 100. Uncommon James challenged by Lofty Strike out wide two. Lofty Strike over the top. What a good return. Lofty Strike has won it. Um, Lofty Strike beat Uncommon James. Now, this was the... Uh, the, the what they did, they invented uh, over the summer with Caulfield Close, uh, an extra 100 metres of, of the uphill uh, Sandown straight, which is really tough. And you need to be fit, one thing we really learnt there. Lofty strike beat Uncommon James, but um, I just want to put to you, because in the end, these two ran the ran the Quinella again in the Oakley Plate, but Uncommon James reversed it. And what we can really see in the data here from this Rubiton is Lofty Strike turned up much fitter than Uncommon James on the day. Uncommon James's grand final was the Oakley Plate. Yeah, well, another great horse, Ralphie, you know, lightly raced as well. That particular day, 2.3, seventh best of the day. Reasonable speed through that first section, 2.8 lengths below benchmark, solid last 400, plus 4.7. And we did see this horse, uh, you know, probably the start after was sort of a bit sideways, but did peak at Flemington in March with a plus 4.2, and we've seen a new level this is another horse, when I sit back and really think about this, that oh, I wonder how much further this horse is going to go, you know, beyond the plus 4.2. Because we know, Ralphie, that if you can start, you know, racing somewhere in this range and creep your way up into the mid fives, you're, um, you know, a pretty highly talented horse. And just compare the fitness levels on the day because Lofty Strike, second best last 200 of the day, but the best last 800. Compare that to Uncommon James, ninth best last 800, but just the 22nd best last 200. That was able to really show us clearly on the data that Uncommon James wasn't as fit because his grand final was two weeks ahead. Yeah, like, you know, it brings back some crazy memories that, you know, doing the form for that day and, Initially, I had such high expectations of Uncommon James, but I probably was like slightly sideways after that. But yeah, when you look at the breakdown of the run, I mean, overall, 1.1, Ralphie, you know, that early speed, that probably threw me off a little bit, you know, 0.2 above benchmark, but then you have that subtle slowdown between the eight and the four, and it is very subtle, Ralphie, right? It's nothing of... um, any sort of dramatic level and then you know reasonable overall last 400 plus 1.9 but yeah the horse did did come to the forefront a couple of lengths behind what was expected and oddly enough this is probably the strange thing about this horse Ralphie is when we looked at the peak of this horse in leading into that run was plus 3.4 back on the 13th of the 8th at Caulfield and when we look at that run there, for instance, how it closed the last 400 metres with a plus 6.4 and between the 8 and the 4 went plus 3, like strong last 800. I guess I had high expectations and it, and it didn't deliver. And then when we look into the future and we see that performance, for instance, like on the 18th of the 3rd and it ran that uh, plus 3.3, oh, you know, it, it matched its previous best, but didn't go beyond that. Now, maybe we had enough by the time we got to Ascot. Yeah, probably peak, peak in, yep. the, in the Oakley Plate, peak in the Galaxy, yeah. and then that, that was enough. Um, a week later, it was the Black Caviar Lightning Stakes. Cool and Getters getting close, and September run back on the inside of the 150. September run drives through, and Cool and Gatter, then Bella Nipitina. Cool and Gatter in the centre lifts. Cool and Gatter in front of Bella Nipitina. I wish I win late. Cool and Gatter announces herself. And this stable, Vince, Cool and Gatter was too good. Uh, but maybe the story... Oh, definitely the story was Nature Strip. I remember leading into this race, Vince. You said this is this is the fork in the road for this horse. Uh, you know, can it can he can he rebound? His trials were good, but unless we see it under race pressure, we just won't know. And after that, you said, well, he can win without me going forward because this old warrior just isn't able to produce his best. Well, well repeat your thoughts there from, uh, from oh, what he Ralph. You you're bringing back some memories there <laughs> with that horse. Well, it's a hard one again, you know. Because I guess 
the opinions, well, for me, for instance, when we look at the history of this horse, firstly, Ralphie, we're gonna we're gonna say. We, we know that it's high-level calibre, even if it doesn't run to its absolute best. We always know that it's a type of runner that is capable on its day of being sort of a mid-four type operator, you know, like four lengths faster than the IVR standard when it was, you know, absolutely airborne. It was sort of like in the mid-fives. But coming back to what was taking place here, I guess the sadness was this. I felt that this horse was going to be able to turn up and run at least somewhere in the threes first up. From an overall perspective, there it was. 2.7 lengths faster than standard Ralphie. If we sort of look back and try and get some understanding leading into it, and then here it is, it turns up on the 18th of the second. This is at Flemington and only managed to produce a 1.2 and then sort of match that beyond that. So I, I did remember clearly saying if this horse can't sort of turn up and run in the threes and I was willing to have you know have something on it that day then beyond that you know I don't want to be with it anymore and, and it didn't Ralphie it, it didn't deliver it was uh, quite in my view it was quite disappointing because the early speed 0.3 lengths faster than standard not a real fast pace not even really. in the mid yeah even in the mid race for a horse like this you know the acceleration was only 2.7 lengths above the benchmark and then it weakened. Now, it wasn't um, it? Wasn't pretty. Yeah, and and the thing was, the punters wanted to step in again in the TJ Smith, but really, he, that first up run showed what he what he isn't doing now. But what we saw from a first up runner in this race, and we'll get to the new market. But what we saw was what you what you've and you know many other great form students like Mark Lamborn, Dominic Byrne, and, and various various others like Dean Lester. What, what you can deliver first up pretty much tells you what you're going to do for a preparation. And I wish I win was phenomenal in running second. Oh, we're going straight to the big star or one of the, it. <laughs> the one of the real big stars of the campaign and, you know, displayed a new level of capability at the sprint level. Truly, Ralphie. I mean, unbelievable. Well, firstly, we look at that, you know, the 18th of the second, 3.2 lengths faster than standard. Pretty strong run and the way it flew <laughs> like i'm just looking here last 400 meters plus 7.5 like we were talking about mr brightside about the last two splits that it did that was above seven lengths coming off a seven and a half lengths race shape below standard and here this horse is sort of traveling five lengths faster and producing a last 400 meters at the same level and this was the race where Peter Moody ran him in to see if they could be the sprinter that he thought he could. Um, it was funny because last spring we were thinking, well, maybe this is a Cox Plate horse. Of course, he, he won the huge money Golden Eagle. But this was the, speaking of fork in the road, this was the fork in the road for I wish I win. Can he be a star sprinter? Wow, could he ever? Yeah, not only could he be a star sprinter, really when we look at, let's just reflect on Mr Moody's, you know, positioning of this horse in terms of how he's transitioned from each run 3.2 above in that thousand meter race then went to 1200 meters and went plus 4.1 and then finished off the prep with a plus 5.2 this is like two runs of 1200 meters not only that we also got to see the emergence of this horse's capacity on wet ground like rubber stamping a 9.7 wti <laughs> confirming the versatility of this horse, not only in distance range, but also in track conditions. Because, you know, probably going back a little bit further, Ralph, we were super confident this horse is going to be dynamic on dry track, right? Yeah. And his, his dry track profile clearly indicates that he's probably slightly better on dry than wet. And yet, uh, we can have the confidence that... <laughs> They talk about races like the Everest and Sydney. It wouldn't matter if there's rain or no rain. You know you can step into this horse. Oh, don't worry. There's only one target for this horse now, that's for sure. But <laughs> a week later, it was Blue Diamond Day at Sandown, of course, with Caulfield closed. We won't focus on the Blue Diamond, but a couple of other very interesting races, particularly for going forward. The first of those was the Futurity. Alligator Blood looking for a fifth group one at the 150, led three quarters of a length from I'm Thunderstruck, who can't get there. Then Mr. Brightside, but the gate has done it again. And it was the gate of Vince, Alligator Blood, getting out in front. Now, lessons learned. One, he had a soft lead, so going into the All-Star Mile, just didn't have, even for a gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott, of course, trained horse, just didn't have that foundation. And 
also the other lessons learned was you've described the uh, huge mid-race exertion of uh, of um, Mr. Brightside and, of course, uh, sadly departed um, on Thunderstruck from the oar. Well, two weeks later, it's just so hard to have speed in your legs to be able to rebound, but it gave him the foundation to win the All-Star Mile. It did, Ralphie. There's no question about that for sure. Well, I, I guess when we look at this horse's profile, and I sort of sat back and reflected on, you know, when you sent the list over of the horses we we're going to be covering, Ralphie, I was looking at, okay, you know, what what have I learned about this horse? What's, what's it actually been able to evolve to? And what I can sort of confidently say from my perspective at the moment is we've got a really, you know, solid racehorse that might just be a length below the very best horses we have at the moment. Which you is talk about like, alligator blood? Yeah, we're talking yeah. about alligator. I mean, it's fantastic, right, to see. I mean, if we look through that performance you're talking about, you know, those last three runs, you know, we had a 2.8 on, on the 25th and 2nd at Sandown, then Mooney Valley on the 18th and 3rd, 3.9. We, we'd look at that and then I reflect back and say, okay, well, prior to that, you know, this horse had peaked with, you know, a plus five, a 4.5. Can't help but feel that one of the things I felt they did get right is they got this horse to definitely relax a lot better. But I also feel it's just one of these crazy things. It's probably a slight negative as well, Ralphie, by doing that. Because when they got this horse to run hard and fast, like if we go all the way back to, say, a race like at Eagle Farm back in, uh, what is it, the... Uh, 11th of June, where it went 4.5 above. I look at the early early speed, plus (laughs) 7.9. What it does is, if you're running against equal talent or even slightly above, it does put everybody in a very uncomfortable position from two ways. Number one, the stress of having to use high sustained speed. But the second part is... You might get further back than ideal, and therefore, even if you're a, a, a more talented runner, you you could just be that one or two lengths further back, and that stops you from winning. But when this horse is running more even, like it did say at Mooney Valley, Ralphie, on the 18th of the 3rd, it does open itself up to allowing the other horses to come into the race, and therefore, the, the um, overall advantage is reduced, and this horse didn't sort of take that next step. If it could have, then I probably would have a different view. But this is another runner, high respect, the stable of um, they've really been able to get the best out of this horse. So Mr. Brightside runs, again, the best last 600, 400, 200 of the day in the futurity. But what wasn't there that wasn't the all was the big mid-race move, and that's the sign of flatness. Well, yes, that's um, very, very true. And and how often do we see that, Ralphie? Like, it's, this one's a clear case of we can see that. Cause yep. Usually one of the strategies is you don't want to have a high-speed race in your subsequent run to um, overcome flatness. And when we look at the, the two performances, the run before where it got the flatness was minus 7.4 or 7.4 lengths below the standard to the 800. And then in the run that we're talking about now was 6.6 lengths below standard. So you would say very comparable race shape, right, in terms of early speed. But here's the, you know, the real big, communication part about the flatness that run before when it went from 7.4 below to plus 7.1 here it only went from minus 6.6 to plus 0.9 it was half the speed in the mid-race squeeze 14.6 versus 7.5 now the last 400 even that was slightly dulled overall like only 6.7 off a much slower mid-race just you know, really confirming that the horse felt the effects of the previous run. And this is the type of thing that can happen. Now, overall, scorecard-wise, you know, when we, you know, lined it all up, it was, you know, a, a length, 1.2 lengths below overall performance. It's just a slightly sideway run. But we knew then that this horse was ready to um, make the big elevation upwards. And, and it did, Ralphie. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why we, we often say that the phrase trainer's intent, because we knew it was targeted at the All-Star Mile. So it was just a perfect, as you, to use your phrase, sideways run. Yeah. And the other thing that I loved as well was I felt that we also seen 
the real rubber stamping of this horse's versatility as well. Like, not only being able to make that enormous transition to going three lengths faster than standing in that race. Now, if you look at the profile of this horse, and I just... The last time that horse had gone above benchmark leading into that race, Ralphie, we had to go back to October 21 at Flemington over a mile for that horse to have gone faster than benchmark through the first section. That sort of tells you, again, reconfirming about this horse has taken the next step. And then not only that, when I go back to that Flemington run and I compare it to the run that we're looking at right now, it was 0.8 above back in October 21, Ralphie, versus plus three at Mooney Valley on the 18th of the third. Then the mid-race, 3.5 above at Mooney Valley. This is when it won. Go back to that Flemington run. It was 4.7 above. So, you know, the Flemington move in the mid-race was slightly stronger. But here's the difference in the maturity and the change of the horse. Off that pace, the horse could only go 0.7 above benchmark at Flemington in 2021. Well, this is below benchmark. And here at Mooney Valley, it turned around and went plus three and a half last 400. What a transition. Going faster through the first section, slightly slower in the mid-race, but an outstanding last 400 metres. This is strength, maturity, and they've unlocked this horse. And the 5.3, I'm actually really excited because this clearly puts this horse in the top sort of eight to ten in Australia. Yep. And we've seen it in the past horses. In the past, Rafi, horses can still improve. And I'm sitting back here, like, reasonably excited about could this horse continue to transition up even further? And even if it doesn't, if they can bring it back in the same shape, we're going to make more money from this horse. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there was another, look, there was two other group one race on the day, the Blue Diamond and the Oakley Plate. We've sort of covered the Oakley Plate with Uncommon James, but there was a fascinating race. And it was in race six, it was the Peter Young. Quinella DeMar used as Vince Steinem beating Gold Trip. Now, lessons learnt. Uh, you can do, always say, this is your chaos theory. I'll get you to repeat your chaos theories a bit about what you have because I reckon you weren't planning to see a race that was 14 lengths above benchmark. Oh, Ralphie. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what on earth happened there? I mean, and I felt that, that that's also affected horses' campaigns, didn't it? This is my point. This is why I want to reflect on it because as good as the performances were of Steinem and Gold Trip, Keats, Numerian, uh, you have a look at subsequent runs, <laughs> they didn't produce. No, no, and, and this is the big thing, isn't it, Ralphie, about the impact it has when you're in high-velocity races, particularly if you're really early in the campaign and you put in big, you see, what I, I you know, like Steinem, I remember you were talking about, you, you were touching on this horse leading into the race. Yep. And you also talked about, uh, just, you know, just sort of recollecting my thoughts here about how you said that the Mar Eustace stable was saying that, you know, this wasn't going to be Gold's trips run. Not that they weren't expecting uh, the horse not to run well, but it wasn't going to be its target. And yet the leading trials were sort of giving the indication this horse was going to run big. But probably what neither or anyone expected was that high velocity, the the high pace, changed everything. And, I mean, Steinem, I, I don't want to knock the horse in any way. I mean, a fantastic performance, plus uh, 3.1, you know, beautiful performance through the first section going no, around 0.7 faster than standard. But I felt the mid-race was, you know, pretty epic for this horse to, you know, go plus five and then, you know, entitled to weaken very late, which is fair enough. And then Gold Trip, which I was getting really excited about, Ralph, because, I, you know, funny enough at that time, I wasn't thinking that um, this was then going to be like curtains for Gold Trip. Far yeah. from it. In my head, I was thinking about, man, we could be, you know, getting some big money from this horse into the future, right? I mean, because 2.8 lengths above first up, I go, that's the best run in Australia, Ralphie, that it had, right? And we could see this horse, you know, really taking off and matching like the type of things it was doing overseas. But it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. 
Uh, and having to do an eight-length move, what was it? It was 15 lengths off the lead. And and, and you look at the market expectations today. Steinem was sevens into 550. Gold Trip was 420 out to $6. So it matched the fact that it wasn't ready as far as what uh, David Eustace said on the radio that morning, uh, that clearly it wasn't ready. But having to produce such a big run, it just flattened. It, it never went near it for the rest of the prep. No, and, and one of the other things that's a real highlight that I, I noticed, again, you know, I always do like to look for the kryptonite in horses. Yep. And we found it over the years. We found a number of horses where they, you know, whether it's a rider's kryptonite or whether it's the horse's kryptonite, right? What was really evident with Gold Trip, it looks like the outer reach for this horse is about a 21-length squeeze. Yep. So, therefore, the slower the race pace, the more disadvantaged this horse actually becomes. Right. And here it is, you know, like you look at that run at Rose Hill over 2,400. That mid-race squeeze was 21.3. Like it's it's it is huge, Ralphie. Like it is huge. <laughs> now the, the the only time had gone that before, and this is where now you know I'm I'm clutching the straws here, Ralphie. Right, but <laughs> we go back to <laughs> Caulfield, fifteenth of the tenth. That was a twenty one point two length mid race squeeze. Yeah, we're narrowly beaten in the Caulfield Cup. So that's point- its limit. Yeah. The, the other point, and it's it's a broader broader view here, but it's a great example here with Steinem. She was fantastic. She was off a seventy day break, and this is your 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 bounce theory that you know you've got much you got a lot of data to back this up. That when horses off a short break run so well, that's their level. Yeah, and and this is the the other learning that's sort of been coming through the studying of. Um, performances of horses and coming through different variables is this the bounce theory when they have this short break and they come into the race they have a tendency to run to a high run you know like they put in one big run and then that's the end of them and this is you know only something that you know personally we've only really discovered in the last couple of years Ralphie and I can't say myself as an individual that I've been able to capitalise on it a lot, but now that I've had another season and and the trend's exactly the same, Ralphie, right? They just all bounce to the negative after that, right? Yeah. That we can have confidence in the future that when we see these patterns in big races, we might be able to, you know, step aside on a horse who might be hard in the market and give ourselves a distinct advantage. But, you know, putting that aside, I have to, you know, respect what it did, this horse, 3.1. I mean, that was a massive leap, Ralphie. I mean, leading into that race, the best the horse had ever done was a 1.9 above back in uh, November of 2022 at Flemington, over 2,000 metres. So, you know, unbelievable for the Eustace stables to find another length on this horse. And then even if we go back beyond that, I mean, it's it's sort of out of range was around plus 1.5. The other thing that I felt that was really important to see with this horse is that it was demonstrating some really strong sustained speed as well off solid race shape. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if, because we know this table, they like giving their horses long breaks if, yep. uh, if needed. And that they say, well, you know, you, you obviously we kept you busy. We went to Perth, you won that race. Maybe they give it a long break and they target a spring like an Empire Rose at Flemington for the mares over a mile, nice and fresh or second up. And uh, she's obviously uh, one of these type of mares that can keep evolving. And how many times have we seen mares when they go from five to six, even, Ralphie? They keep, impro- they keep improving. Yep, no doubt. A week later was the Australian Guineas was the Group One at Flemington uh, on the on the fourth of, of March. But clearly, the best performance of the day was in the Blamey. Nonconformist grabbing it, followed by Pounding and Banker's Choice. But Nonconformist drives away for Harry Coffey, and Nonconformist won the Blamey. Oh, Vince, Vince, Vince. Graham Begg, when the money's on the Graham Begg stable, <laughs> you're a deal not to watch it. Non-conformist was unbelievable this day. But so a couple of things that we want to learn. Firstly, how often do we say the market or the parade? It's going to tell you a few things with first-up horses. Sometimes horses are wound up, sometimes they're not. Even though we know what their talent level's like. On this occasion, $26 in the 21, this horse was coming to play and it came to play. Yeah, and, and what a head-scratcher of a horse as well, right? <laughs> I mean, two point six above. I, 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 you know, after that performance, you know, I look at the breakdown: one point nine lengths below benchmark first section. You know, good in the mid race. You know, one and a half above. Really strong last four hundred. You know, giving the big signal that the horse obviously came for. You know, very forward and justified with the weight of money by the stable, right? But I remember reflecting off that run, saying, Gee, "Could this horse 
come back to that, you know, that lethal 5.2 that it produced at Caulfield back in September 21, right? That, yeah. You know, I had that run through my mind and uh, it didn't happen. Now, could, could that be the case of the, the subsequent start? You know, going four point seven lengths faster than standard, and is this this crypt, is this the kryptonite for this horse? Well, if you look at it, I did initially think is that the kryptonite. Well, the horse had gone four lengths faster than standard the day it won at Corford at two thousand meters, but maybe the four point seven because there was only one other time, Ralphie, the horse had sort of matched that speed, was back in Oct- in uh, October 2020 at Flemington when it went 4.8 above, <laughs> right? Yeah. And is that the kryptonite for the horse? That Just going that extra length faster completely undoes its rhythm, its aerobic capacity to maintain the stride that it needs to stride, you know, stride with in terms of its breathing. Because what I seen on both occasions was a big collapse in the last four hundred meters. I guess the other thing too, for with older horses, they're, they're obviously carrying some issues. You know, I mean, it, it's a tough yep. caper. You know, yep. so so with an older horse, he's six years old. He didn't come up in the spring. Then they've wound him up like a spinning top and got the money. But there's only so much to give. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is only so much to give. But see. The reason why I want to highlight those things, this is again for myself, because when yeah. I was looking at all the profiles, you know, last night, just sort of having a bit of a feel of, okay, you know, who, which horses are going to make us money into the future, right? Because this is all part of this process of why you want us to reflect back, right? Is because we're looking at, it's no, I guess in many ways, no different to a stock. We're looking at who could potentially perform next time round. And this horse for me, when I looked at it and said, okay, I know I'm absolutely certain I know what its kryptonite is now, but it also means it becomes a little bit of a challenge that I don't believe this horse is ever going to get back to that 5.2, Ralphie. Yeah. I feel that this horse is – we've seen it. Like, Beg has done that masterful strategy right, <laughs> of being able to get the horse ready. They've taken all the damn money. I didn't get any of it, right? And <laughs> – 2.6 is its range, right? And we, and if we get into a fast race, we want to sidestep it. A week later, a stable that we, uh, we're we big fans of, we haven't, haven't spoken about him yet for the uh, for this Melbourne pod, is James Cummings. In secret, the leader, 100 metres to go. Lofty Strike is flashing down the outside, but it's the filly in secret holding on, in secret from the new market. And they targeted the new market, Vince, with in secret, and they got the money with in secret. This was planning 101. Oh, in secret, yeah. Of course, when you hear that he was flying over. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind change of tactics. Never mind blinkers first time. You, you're a big one for is the trader turning up? <laughs> oh, well, when they're turning up and, you know, and he's getting the big – is it the big green light from Reggie? Uh, you just got to be saying to yourself, okay, okay. Now, <laughs> I sit back and say, how, how the hell did it happen, right? Yeah. Now – we know the horse leading into that race was a genuine, you know, borderline plus four horse, right? Yep. With the potential of who knows what upside, right? Because it's only a three-year-old filly. And here it is. It turns up and runs 5.2 lengths above standard, right? Clearly the best of the day. And then I look at the fashion that it did. <laughs> now, maybe this is, the, this is probably the big reason as well. You t- you've said this about this race a few times, about the nature and how brutal it was, right? And it does bring me back to the Placid Arc days, right? Even though that, was all- that horse that day was doing it on the extreme outside fence, right? But here we are, plus two for first section, but the 6.6 above in the mid-race, that's like going back in time, Ralphie, when you've got eight and a half lengths virtually of brutal speed through the first 800 metres. So how tired these horses were, we'll talk a bit more about it in secret, but firstly, yep. how many group ones are what it flew at over 1,200 where the winner is in secret, 53rd best last 200 of the day, the entire field could lift its legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and to answer that even further, Ralphie, they're just a, a testament like that when you look at, so this is the trap. Uh, here's a little trap. A, a lot of people when they study sectional times. And there is some truth to this as well. So I don't want to um, sort of put anything in a basket and say it, it's not true, right? But one of the big studies is that the last 200 metres is a very critical component of a horse's profile 
not only in the assessment in that race on the day, but in the assessments of future events for many aspects, fitness, conditioning, acceleration capability, the ability to how well it could handle, you know, the type of variance in the race shape. The reality is, if you were looking at it on this occasion, like you said, 53rd best, you'd be <laughs> saying, oh my goodness, that's horrible, right? But how about looking at the overall last 800 metres, third best of the day? Yes. <laughs> and showing the nature of not enough respect given to the nature of that sustained speed. And not many horses can do it, Ralphie. They just no, can't. Not at all. Um, so with the with this stable, uh, you know, they use the master like Dominic Byrne for, for programming. Yep. When this horse walked into the stable, its grand final was the new market. And what did it do in the spring? It won over 1,200. Then it was just beaten in the gold race over 1,400. Freshened up back to win the Coolmore. That was its target, and what would it do in the autumn? Uh, sorry, not the autumn, but uh, you know, February, February, uh, March, 1200, 1400, back to 1200 grand final. Yeah, and and further to that too, Ralph, is slight difference in the preps. Maybe they were still learning a bit more about the horse because you could see the real incremental steps. Like if we go back to September at Rose Hill, plus 1.5. Then it went to Rose Hill again over the 1,400, like you said, 24th September. It went 3.4, came to Flemington and managed to take itself to 3.9. Now, I have to say, even at that level, it's a three-year-old, fairly roughy. Yeah, right? it's huge. It's, that's, that's massive, right? And this time in, I'm not saying tricky, right, but... Interesting. I, I, mean, I had my eye very closely on this horse, and I wasn't too worried about the first up run, 0.2 below benchmark, off an extraordinary slow pace, right? I mean, you couldn't get any bigger difference. Seven and a, 7.7 lengths below standard through the first section. But then that run at 1,400, Rolfie, was only a marginal increase, like 0.8 above. So I guess the step was there that the horse was going to be able to run in the threes. But to go plus 5.2, you know, I just sit back here and say, stunning. For a three-year-old filly, I've got to go back a fair while to look at horses that sort of meet that sort of profile as three. And you know this and I know this, Ralphie. If we go back to in, in the dawn of time, and I'm just reflecting maybe many people on this journey when they look at the Don Scott theories and talk about, you know, how horses evolve each season and they get X amount of improvement just as a, as a guideline. Well, we've obviously – well, I've definitely been able to demonstrate for myself that that's, that theory definitely isn't true, right? That yep. It is for some but not for most, right? But we do know this. If you can run plus five and you're three, even if you don't improve – you're going to be in the hunt for any race. <laughs> I'll tell you what would be fascinating too, because they're obviously a breeding operation. Now, the money's yep. so good, it's going to be hard to ignore with the Everest, even even for Godolphin. But maybe in the spring they say, you know what, we can just pick up Group 1s in Melbourne and uh, and use their slot for another good sprinter if they have another good sprinter. Obviously, if they don't, the, because the Everest isn't a Group 1. So it'll be fascinating which way they go with this, but this is a horse who can make us money. Yeah, but yeah, but hang on, Ralphie. Well, see, this is the challenge now, right? Yeah. This is the challenge. Will it or won't it make us money, right? Because he, here's the dilemma. You know, I'm, I'm just I'm using a Ralphie term here, spitballing into the future. I don't, <laughs> I don't like to do that very often, but let's say we are spitballing into the future. Okay. Let's say this horse is set for the Everest. Yep. And so is I wish I win, right? Yes. Now and we've got a dilemma. Giga kick. Right? Yeah, and Giga Kick, right? So who are you backing? Right? Well, okay, some people say, well, it's so easy, you just back all three of them. Okay. Well, that might be good for some, right? But not for me, right? And I'm, and I'm selfish, right? Because I am thinking about me, right? And and I'm sitting back saying, now we've got a problem, right? Because you, we've learned this about the Everest. Don't, no matter what happens, all other performances after that race is dead. Because right? they, they are so wound up for that race, whether they're targeted super fresh and put in this super run, or they make a mistake leading into it. We've seen that as well, right? Yep. Where they can make the vital mistake, and it doesn't matter who you are as a trainer, right? That can happen. Now, Moody, he's used the simulation technique, I call it, right? Yep. He simulated the future about how he knows how he can get his horse to go to the top on a three-run campaign, right? And he probably has learned from that simulation that he can repeat that 
leading into the Everest, or he might be even more dynamic knowing how the explosive the horse is fresh. Now, what do we do with In Secret? We don't know what this horse could do. Just They said they just had it wound up to the minute super fresh. Who knows? This horse could explode and run plus six or higher or blow up because they go too fast through the first section or something like that. I don't know. So this is the big challenge that we're going to have. And this is the downside. Well, when I say downside, I'm not being negative here, right? I'm yeah. just saying this is a downside from a punting perspective, right? How the hell do we bloody make money out of these great horses if they're all racing against each other on the day? Because I like them to be all separated on the chessboard so I can collect off all of them. Well, this was my point, actually, that I thought, I just wonder if, if they if they uh, say, you know what, we'll just win all the Melbourne Group 1s and not even run in the Everest. And say, no. we'll win the Manicato, we'll win the, uh, the Champions Day at Flemington. Ralphie. We'll get the Group 1s. Why don't they have the money? But they but it's a breeding operation too. This is my nah, Yeah, it's a breeding operation. But let me tell you, the prestige of winning hey, the Everest. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> the, right, pres- the prestige of winning the Everest, sooner or later, it's going to be Group 1 anyway, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they'll, but, they'll, they'll win that battle. All right, I'm, we'll do too two much more. Money. There's too much money, Ralphie, at stake. <laughs> this is fun. Well, let's do two more. Okay. Uh, Mooney Valley, a uh, week later, the All-Star Mile. Mr. Brightside's challenging. Mr. Brightside up to Alligator Blood. Cascadian late. Mr. Brightside in front. And Mr. Brightside as well. And Mr. Brightside got his grand final win. A couple of lessons learned from this, Vince. I want to start with this. What about that the Hayes boys are now have to be respected at the absolute top tier of uh, Australian trainers? Oh, yes. The, the, they have definitely come of age. Yeah. yeah. They've taken time. Uh, work out all their um, their moves in the background in terms of what they feel it needs to take to get a horse ready. Obviously, they got the. I mean, just let's just think about their encyclopedia. And I did think about this when I was looking at Mr. Brightside, Ralphie. I was going, they have the greatest. Okay, Gay Waterhouse, Tommy Smith, right? Yep, that's one unbelievable encyclopedia of wealth that they can tap into. But this team. Three three generations of the Hazes. Yes. So the history that they can tap into is phenomenal, right? And now these young men are really starting to hit their pattern. And we started to see the emergence, not only of this horse, but of a couple of other horses as well, right? But Brightside's the first one because they pinpointed it. They, they said that this horse had... Um, the, you know the capacity to be, you know, very high level, and they and they've been proven correct. The five point three lengths above IVR benchmark on the eighteenth of the third really franked that for me, Ralphie. The way it did it, we did touch on it. The sustained speed, all the variables that it showed. I guess the only thing that's left now for me with this horse is this. If I sit back and let's say I I was the owner of this horse, is this horse capable of being? That level at, say, Cox Plate level, you know, 2,000 metres is probably more what I'm pointing at. Yeah. Or or is this really going to be a horse that's going to be at its absolute brilliant best at a mile range? I just wonder if they say, you know what, oh, that's a fair point. Let's target the Hong Kong mile in the international day. What was the Golden 60 and those type of horses? So yeah, not up to them. Golden 60 is another level? Yeah, that, uh, yeah, we're talking plus sevens and eights, Ralphie. Okay, well, maybe that's a good good little uh, gem there. So for the second year in a row, completely coincidentally, this keep it became... Here. What's that? They should keep it here. <laughs> to make money. Yes. Second year in a row, this became the Doncaster 1-2. Uh, the year before, Mr. Brightside and uh, and uh, I'm Thunderstruck uh, came out of the All-Star Mile this year. Mr. Brightside won it again. But the second horse in the in the uh, Doncaster was my Oberon. It gets beaten 10 lengths here. How does it improve? Well, it just wasn't ready for such a high-speed race. That's how it improved. Yeah, I know. I know. And that and was another... Dry, dry to wet because obviously yeah. it's a very good wet tracker. Yeah, like and, and, and also with that horse, Ralphie, you do sort of sit back and say to yourself, what's its real potential, right? Yeah. You know, really, what is it? Because I was watching this horse like a hawk because we knew how explosive it was on that day in at Mooney Valley about who knows what this horse could do, right? Seriously. I, I, I said to myself, we could have an absolute superstar here, right? Yeah. And 
I'm not, I don't want to say I was disappointed or anything like that. There it was, like the emergence of the run was like, oh my goodness, like here we are or here we go again, like plus three, unbelievable, right? And I, I just sort of asked myself, we can say this, it's a wet tracker, Ralphie. And a very good one. <laughs> yeah, and well, yeah, the WTI, like Winks level, it's got a 13.8, a 10.5, and we know that when they break 10, Yep. On the W2. Right. They're, they're mud runners, right? Yeah. Give me as much money as you can. I'm not saying give me a heavy 16, though, right? <laughs> yeah. But if you're a heavy 8, 9, 10, we'll take it all day. And this is something that we've got to keep a real strong eye out for this horse into the future. Because also, do you feel this horse could be, you know, something that, you know, a type of horse that can run well beyond 1,600? Well, there's a question, yeah. So when I look at the, the data, the data tells me you're two thousand all day. I wonder if they consider the Doombin Cup and they go up north. So that, that's a well, that's they're not going to get you. Not well, yeah. Then again, you know, Queensland. I shouldn't say that they've had plenty of rain there as well. They could get you know some waterlogged tracks. Exactly. And just to finish with with this race, Cascadian ran second. Um, a fundamental. It was on the quick backup. It won the Australian Cup. You don't want to be going fast early. So even though this was a brutal race, this horse was out the back. Uh, and going below benchmark, and that was, that enabled, and he's a marvellous horse, of course, but uh, that enabled him not to be flat a week later. Yeah, now, let's, I felt this horse, if I look at the surprise, now, yeah, okay, well, let, let's let's think about surprise for a moment. <laughs> you know, this, the trainer does say a million words when they turn up, Ralphie, they just do, right, especially like Cummings, but. The 4.9, that was a bit of a surprise for me, right, to see that type of performance, and it did, and it delivered, like, at a phenomenal level at Mooney Valley with the 4.9, and then went to 2,000 metres. There was always a question mark for me about how well I could run 2,000. I felt that's one thing that I got answered for me about where its level is. It's a genuine sort of mid to high twos range horse at 2,000 metres, and somewhere around... A, at least a genuine length behind its capacity at 1,600. Now, this could be proven wrong into the future, but it is an older horse, right? Yep. And like you touched on, you always could have little niggly issues and you may never see the best of the horse. But I felt this campaign, this stable did phenomenal things. I mean, all three runs finished in the top three, right? You couldn't yeah. have asked for anything better. It was a deteriorating uh, performance at its last run, but going back to 1,400... That, that was a bit of a surprise, even for, you know, brain thrust like the Dominic Burney. You know, what's the strategy around? You're really just trying to grab something, I felt, right? Because, you know, the performance was clear that it just wasn't there, even though well, they probably sit back and say, well, we still got third and we made plenty of money. That's it. A uh, week later, Melbourne Group 1 season finished in the William Reid. Babylon Berlin has been grabbed by Imperatriz. Balanipatina coming at it. Imperatriz, three quarters of an eighth in front. The Kiwi and Opie. It's Imperatriz wins it from Balanipatina. So Kiwi Imperatriz was fantastic, Vince. Here's just a little lesson learned, though. We can wrap it up with the weekend. The 10th horse in this race was Jigsaw. How fast was he forced to go there? And then he goes to Mornington and they said, there you go, Daniel Moore, you can lead on your ear. <laughs> oh, Ralphie. I... Only, you know, we only did early editions of race speed profiles for Mornington. And I don't generally go there, Ralphie, right? <laughs> yes. You know, provincial tracks, I just stay away for, for a few reasons, right? Because I'm not a active on, you know, following the provincial circuit. There's many things that, you know, I'm probably not super tuned into, you know, biases of the track. And sure, you've got to rely on data. But one thing was for certain, I go, how are they going to beat this horse? That was, that was all I was thinking about Mornington. How are they going to beat this horse? That's all. So, how fast did he have to go at Moody Valley, though? For comparison. Uh, well, I haven't got. I've got to go and look it up. Yeah, just bear uh, with me. If, if you've <laughs> well, got I'll it there, you, you can say six, it, leg, yeah. six legs above average, above standard rather. Four, first four hundred meters. That's a standing start. Six legs above. That's insane. And the morning, there was never going to be any horse who could match him for speed. No, and I knew. Yeah, when I when it turned for home, I said that's over. <laughs> Because <laughs> it's sort of a little bit like the valley, isn't it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not that long of a straight. And it actually kicked. <laughs> <laughs> and this is and the and the power of the of that 
because it sounded like some. I mean, the market there was no real surprise market wise, right? Yeah, but it sounded like some of the people that were talking thought it was a bit of a surprise, right? I don't know why. Well, I suppose, the, 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 and the, in fairness, and we're just sort of, you know, you haven't had a chance to clock Mornington yet, but in fairness, the, the, the one question was, did this horse have another run on him? Because he'd been going so well for the whole summer. Well, when, it, when you lead on your rear vents, it, it wouldn't matter. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is this is what the thought might have been. Okay, yeah. Did you have another run in you? Well, yeah. here's the thing. You're, um, it was uh, 55 days between runs, 29 days between runs. We knew this horse had a, a rock solid 2.9 profile. Probably that was the biggest asset. Who was going to be able to run to that level? No one, right? Yep. That was probably the biggest thing. Forget about the speed, right? Just think about that, right? And the biggest advantage you get when you come off like – it was a pretty decent fresh and Ralphie, right? And yep. mind you, that was 55 days in between runs. There might have been some errors there from the trainer, right? And prob- I mean, I'd say the first error is how the hell are you going to predict that speed? Yeah. You're not, right? You're <laughs> yeah, not going to – it doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. yeah. But that helps you for a race like that for called up energy. Yes. And there's no way they would have been going anywhere near – even though I haven't timed it – anywhere near plus six at Mornington. So there might be another little nugget from this race. September run had to go very fast. It's going to Adelaide. And the reason I'm saying that is in a couple of weeks' time, we'll uh, we'll preview Adelaide, the the, uh, the big Sangster meeting there. So that's our next preview podcast. We're going to have another week off this week. Uh, but in the meantime, of course, if you can become a member, we really appreciate it via racetrackrelfie.com.au. You can get Vince's race speed profiles next uh, Saturday. You, you uh, No, Provincials, Vince, they're going to race in the metro area. You'd be happy with that, won't you? Yeah, we'll be happy with that, and we'll be obviously doing a big deep dive in South Australia. That's it. So that's yep. uh, that's via dailysectionals.com.au. Appreciate you listening and hope you enjoyed a little change of format here on Year Round Carnival.